Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. This episode of Why Watch That is supported by Entrepreneur Meal Plan. It helps leaders and professionals feed their bodies and business as well. Do you know, Critic, I got Mm. a chance to attend a wonderful event by EMP here Uh in Los Angeles. And it was so amazing because Brandy Cochran was able to gather people from all sorts of walks of life. We were able to gather together, have real talk and some real good food too. Mm -hmm. It was a hit. It's food for the soul and the body, which is so hard to find. So if you want to learn more about Entrepreneur Meal Plan, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, go to entrepreneurmealplan.com. The Why Watch That TV Talk. So everybody, guess what? We have um, what the ref calls a potpourri. Oh! Yes, we do. Popo. <laughs> and with all of us inside now, potpourri sounds good. <laughs> uh, the good so- kind, not the not the rose scented one that's always in oh. the bathroom. Uh oh. <laughs> now see, some people are like, "Why are you coming from my bathroom?" <laughs> so we do we have a whole bunch of tv selections in different areas okay we got some we got a premiere we got a season premiere we got a finale dealing with that we got some sneak peeks coming from netflix and a film sneak peek which will be available online oh among other places so we're starting with the series premiere and guess what y'all I ain't reviewing it. The ref's gonna review it. That's why I'm talking first. What? And this is something that has gotten buzz. People have been talking about it. Some critics have been saying, hey, we're all inside. Why not check this out on Hulu? It is little fires everywhere. Mm. The first three episodes have been released. It will be one episode per week after that. Uh, And hey, it stars some heavy hitters and they're producing Mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon and uh, Kerry Washington. And it is uh, based on Celeste Ng's novel developed by Liz Tigelar. Oh. So tell us, Ref, what's going down in the the 90s? Because this is... (laughs) It is in the 90s. Oh, my. Well, we are in a small town in Ohio. And there it is 1997. A year that I remember well. (laughs) So so you note that I was not born in 1997. (laughs) So we have uh, Reese Witherspoon's character, Elena Richardson, who is, you know, I'm going to be honest with you not so different from the kind of character that we see in Big Little Lies that Reese Witherspoon played. Meaning, she is a well-to-do mother of 
of three or four kids. She is completely packing their lunches, organizing their lives, dressing up in the morning, breaking everybody's breakfast. The whole town knows who she is. She's third generation in this little town. And she is also a part-time journalist. <laughs> now she is married to Joshua Jackson's character, Bill. And this couple very much rep. It, it felt more eighties than nineties. I'm not gonna lie to you. It, it felt it, it. It. I feel like we have a hard time in Hollywood to distinguish between the nineties and the eighties. But I just I have it very distinct, only because I grew up during those times. So it did feel a little eighties. He's um, a lawyer and a well-to-do. They have a huge, beautiful home. I mean, it is massive. It's like 80s Northern Virginia to me. Like they work in DC. That's what it feels like. Yeah, it felt very much like that. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I brought up how big and huge and beautiful this home is, is because the first scene of the first episode, you see that beautiful home burning to the ground, mm. to a crisp. And the firefighters are there. Um, Elena's there. Her children are there. Uh, most most of them, I'll say, most of her children are there, and she's sitting on on the on the side of an ambulance with a blanket over her, looking distraught because apparently someone set the house on fire, and she was in it. it possibly was on purpose. Well, that, that's what the firefighters think. They, like, this was intentional. We don't know if it was, they were trying to kill you or not, but this came from on the inside. Because now, of the title. <laughs> little fires everywhere. Mm. Now, we zoom out to see this mysterious looking, I don't even know what kind of makeup the car is. It is a, it doesn't fit in the town, the well-to-do, very rich town. And we see this these two people, maybe this is all from the viewpoint of Elena, these two people maybe sleeping in the car. They've got stuff on it. It just seems like it doesn't fit. So she calls the cops and says, hey, I don't know if you know, but I think you should do something with that car. Well, it turns out it's Carrie Washington playing Maya Warren and her daughter, Pearl, sleeping in the car. I mean, they go to gas stations and kind of clean themselves up with wipes. Who who are these people? They're looking for a place, a permanent place. Pearl is, but Maya is looking for a place to crash and then move on. Well, as things fold, unfold, uh, they want to rent out a spot and it turns out to be Elena's spot that she's renting out. They get to know each other and scene to scene, episode to episode, we find out that Maya is way more mysterious than Elena had hoped for. I mean, she's an artist, but where does she come from? Does her, she's renting the place out. Do her references check out? What is she doing in this town? What is she running from? The more and more we get into the episodes, the more Elena starts digging around and finding out that Maya isn't exactly who she, everyone thinks she is. But out of a favor to her daughter, she, Pearl, she decides to stay because Pearl makes some connections with Elena's kids. Now, we won't talk about that in detail. By the time you get to the end of episode three, oh, 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 there is a woman, Bibi Chow, 
who is played by Lu Hong Huang, and she gave up her baby. She doesn't know where her baby is, but she gave her up and she was starving. She had nothing. And since then, she's been depressed. And Maya has been hungry to help her find her baby. Turns out that at a particular birthday party that Elena and her friends are at, there may be some insight to the missing baby. You'll have to find out how, you'll have to find out who, and you'll have to find out what happens as a result of this possible link between Elena's friends and this missing child. So, all of that to say, this is all surrounded by mystery. Um, Little fires everywhere. It's basically a um, deep dive into the relationships of women and how women were perceived, how women wanted to be. Um, And also the mystery of who people really are. There's a line that Maya says, Elena says, hey, would you mind taking a portrait of our family? And she goes, I don't do portraits. Portraits is how people want to be seen. I do photography. That's how I photograph people as who they really are. And so we find out behind all the facade, no one, including Maya, including Elena, including her husband, including her children, including everyone in this well-to-do town is really who they say they are. Now, that's that's all I'm going to tease you with. Is this something that you should be watching? Well, I'll say this. If you did like Big Little Lies, if you liked it and you thought it was interesting, this is not as good, but there's still the kind of um, cooler, you know, you know, well, get on the phone or hop on Twitter and kind of talk about what happened in the episode. Uh, some big explosive things happen. Um, if you enjoy Reese Witherspoon, if you enjoy Carrie Washington, they don't disappoint in delivering what they do. I, for one, I thought there was a lot of emoting for Carrie Washington's character because there's so much mystery around her. And so she's always depressed and sad and, and mysterious and very, very, very odd. So that got a little exhausting for me, but who knows, it may open up because we have a very weird, interesting character that keeps, um, shall we say, appearing in Maya, Carrie Washington's uh, flashbacks. And it is, I'll just have to say, it's a very familiar person that you will know, especially if you watch uh, Grey's Anatomy. I'm not going to give it away who it is because I looked and I thought, oh, this person? He's in Grey's Anatomy or was, is, I don't know if he still is, but he seems to be haunting Maya or Carrie Washington in her dreams. What's that all about? Mm-hmm. So all this on to say, yeah, on the subway. I don't know what's happening there, but anyway, it's beautifully shot. Um, and I think if you have the time, which most of us aren't going anywhere, like physically for a while, maybe this is something you should check out if you are, um, a fan of Big Little Lies. Uh, this might be a good supplement for you to explore. Um, I'll let you, I think you tried to watch it and it wasn't for you. Um, but I'm going to continue to watch it just to see what this mystery is. Mm -hmm. All that 
to say that's it for the series premiere. Now we're gonna go on to some television season premieres. These are these this is something we all have seen if you watch HBO, but I haven't. <laughs> My brilliant friend, the story of a new name is back on HBO for uh, season two, about eight episodes. It is definitely something that you're going to have to remind us about, Critic, because some of us may not quite remember what this is about. But I tell you what, it's getting a lot. It got a lot of um, marketing. And let's see if it was worth all of that. Yeah, and this is, you know, HBO Mondays, here we go. They're really beefing this up, and this, like you said, is in the second season after last year, and I really loved the first season. And it's not even that it's perfect. It's like walking into a storybook with real people. Mm. So, what we have is two friends, but they're friends. What does that you know, mean? This is not, you know, ooh, you know, we get together and have a great time all the time. Oh. There's a lot of tension between them. They're secrets. They have each other's back, or do they? Oh. Is there jealousy involved? All about intelligence and uh, opportunity and the looks, like all of this stuff. Now it is, we are in Italy. It is a period piece. And it is in Italian. Mm. So you do have to read subtitles if you don't know l'italiano. What period is it? I believe it's the 50s. That's where. It oh, is. okay. So it's mm-hmm. not we're not going back into like the 18th century or No, yeah, no. So it is the 50s. Now, these two friends Wait a minute. We have Elena. <laughs> Another one? <laughs> okay. Now it's Lenu. Oh, okay. That's her little nickname. And then there is Leela. They are both brilliant in their own right. Now, I talked about in season one how we saw when they were kids and they were going to school and the teacher wanted them to excel and make it to high school and all of that. So over the course of the first season, they grow up into teenagers. Now we pick up in season two right after where we left off in season one, which is after the marriage. Uh oh. Oh, yes, she's married. Now, the thing is, how is this marriage? She was proposed to by somebody else, uh, a guy with power. She turned him down. Uh oh. She took the marriage. She got married to another guy who has power too, just not as much. Now, this man that she married, this young man, they're all young. Well, He's got a family business to care for. So is he going to be faithful in that way to his wife, business-wise? Because there are certain people she may not want him to deal with. Uh, The money is number one, honey. Okay? (laughs) Also, what happens when they clash? Because Leela has mouth. Mm -hmm. It's the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Now, Lainu comes and sees her after this marriage, after their honeymoon, and can tell there's some issues. And Leela opens up about what happened. This is, you know, this is tough stuff. Now, knew at the beginning of season two, she's not been going to school. What's wrong with her? 
Now, there's a guy that she's been in love with who goes to the school. Is he the reason? Is there another reason? What happens when she starts going back to school? What happens as she's looking at her friend who's now married to a man of means? How is that going to affect her? Does that change her behavior? Does it change her priorities? There's another guy that likes her. She's supposed to be his girlfriend. Is she using him? Does he feel over rewarded by her? And then the whole uh, family surrounding them, all of that, that helped to uh, actually flesh out the world of my brilliant friend. And we always know this is teetering on the edge because we know that the grown up Lenu, well, she has some ideas about her brilliant friend and maybe they aren't too kind. How did this happen? Oh. So this just started season two. And the thing is this, is it perfect television? No, but it's beautiful television. I said, it's like walking into a storybook with real people. This is literature come alive. That's how you want to think of it. So literally, literally, yes. <laughs> and I don't mean a novel. I mean lit. Mm. So if you are a fan of reading literature and you want to watch a show that has that kind of feel, that kind of texture, then this is for you. I mean, this is the kind of thing where if we're comparing it to contemporary TV shows about teen drama, they don't hold a candle to this in depth. Oh. So is it worth reading the Italian? It is for me. It's worth listening to the Italian. Even though <laughs> I can pick up like every uh, three words out of a sentence. Bye, bye, me. So there you go with my brilliant friend. Well, let's move on to the season finale of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Mm. Oh my goodness. This, we have like, this is season 10, guys. This has been around not for 10 years because remember there was the um the lag in between it's been around since what when jerry signed thousand to my gosh i didn't realize it was that yeah yeah and larry david has been added again he and I, you know will he ever grow up Will he ever, will, will things ever really, truly work out for him and his friends and ex-wife and <laughs> all of that? I don't know, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me that you enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> yes. Now, as of uh, taping, the finale has not aired, but I want to review it anyway, because it doesn't matter what they do in the finale. Let me tell y'all. This, I'm just going to skip to who should watch it? Then I'll talk about my experience because it's a comedy. What's the point of talking about? There's no plot, really. Especially not with Larry David. No. So we've talked about, Ref, how, hey, if you like Seinfeld, check this out. If you like cantankerous characters and comedies, check this out. If you like Archie Bunker, if you like Fred Sanford, if you like the Honorable Chamberlain Holla from My Cousin Vinny, Check this out, especially in this time. If you want some irreverence in this time as an escape, it can't be a better show that'll serve that purpose. Now in this season, one of the arcing storylines is Larry went to his, uh, well, originally his friend's coffee shop. The coffee wasn't hot enough. <laughs> the tables were wobbly. 
he couldn't hang his jacket up anywhere. And the scones were scones, okay? They're more like muffins. So what is going on? Now he and his friend, in quotes, get into an argument and it blows up so much that Larry decides to open what he calls a spike store. <laughs> He's opening up a rival coffee shop right next door. Oh boy. He signs the lease. He does the construction. His living friend, played by J.B. Smoove, helps him out. Where are they going to get the coffee? Because the secret to the rival store is they have great coffee. And the man tells him, his no longer friend tells him, you will never get coffee like mine. Well, wait a minute. We know that Larry David is resourceful. He will find a way. So in the end... Does his spiked store come to pass? Is it successful? Does it crash and burn? This man even comes up with novel ways to have urinals and bathrooms. Okay, this is what we're dealing with with Larry David. <laughs> so that's the overarching kind of story. Now there's also, like you said, his ex-wife. Are they still exes? Remember, he was friends with Ted Danson, the real one, who's in the show. So, after he got divorced from his wife, Ted Danson started dating her. Is that guy code? Is that any kind of code? No. So how does Larry get back at him, if at all? He also has his best friend, who's manager, who's married to a, a spitfire of a wife, and that's saying it, the least of it. So his friend in one of the episodes, he actually, there are all kinds of cameos that come in um, and one of them is John Hamm. John Hamm wants to follow Larry David. So his friend, the manager, is the one who finds out. It's like, hey, John Hamm wants to follow you around. He's playing a character like you. So that whole episode is hilarious because John Hamm, across, across the 30 minutes, starts turning into Larry David. Hilarious! This is the kind of stuff that you need. And along the way, nothing is off limits. Laverne Cox was a guest star. You can imagine what that was like. Oh boy. Hilarious, hilarious. So these are the things, my friends, that make me really such a huge fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I will end with this. Is it, are you always laughing at it? No, but when you laugh, I mean, sometimes you laugh so hard, you cry and you miss the whole scene. There is, to end it, one of my unsung heroes, who I haven't mentioned yet, Richard Lewis in this show. Just looking at him is hilarious. Just looking at him. And he decided, they have this storyline in the penultimate episode where he is in Flowers for Algernon. Now, if you know the story, you can understand oh, if he's playing Algernon, God. what's going on. And the way that they weave together all of these disparate parts of the episode, because this is what they do in the end, it all comes together in some way. The way they brought that all together for him when he's standing on stage playing this role was so funny. I didn't hear one word. I had to watch it again to hear half of them. So there you go with Curb Your Enthusiasm. I just hope that they come back, you know, within two years. Maybe three? Well, they take time off, so. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. Everybody, um, just as a tidbit, uh, Larry David, in case you're like, who is that? Who is it? 
He was one of the creators of Seinfeld, of course. But in case you're not that old, if you ever watch SNL, he always plays Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. So I can I can hear all the brains going, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I heard him, you know, kind of uh, as they. I think he was doing a run of press. Uh, preparing for the uh, finale, I guess. And he was basically saying, you know, politics-wise, uh, I hope it works out for Bernie Sanders. Uh, personally, I hope he doesn't. Because that means, because he does live in California. That means he'd have to fly back every weekend um, and play Bernie Sanders on SNL. So there you go with that. Let's let's shift gears a little bit, Critic, about that. Yeah. Let's just stick with some Netflix, a couple Netflix sneak peeks that we have the wonderful privilege of giving here and there. Now, this is a this has been a much anticipated return. We're talking about Ozark. It's coming back. The 27th of this month season 3. Now, I have not seen not one Nair episode, but I have been told by you and many others, this is not your binge kind of television show. There's a lot, it's very thick. There's a lot happening that can be affronting or you kind of have to mentally assess what you just saw. Um, And... From the Emmys, this past Emmys, and I think Golden Globes very much rewarded. In fact, I believe, I think it was the Golden Globes that one of the supporting actresses took it home. And we saw her in The Americans as well. She's she's a lovely actress. Yes, Julia Garner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does great work. She's I feel like she's not beyond 16, but I know she is. Um yeah, she won the Emmy. She won the Emmy. She won the Emmy, not the mm-hmm. Golden Globe. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I knew it was very, very recent. They, they're kind of, and even the first season, Jason Bateman won for Best Directing. Yeah. Um, it, it really is one of those sleeper hits um, that people are really getting turned on by, meaning they're really investing in it, but they're not, many aren't able to just sit and, and go from episode one all the way to 10 or eight or how many ever episodes without kind of taking a pause and a mental, some mental space. So tell us about this new season that we have. Um, It is money laundering businesses and all kinds of shady businesses, but this is not, we're not talking about New York City or in Los Angeles. This is kind of somewhere you wouldn't think this stuff would happen. Missouri, I mean. It's the Ozarks, that that section. Um, so here's what I will say to begin, because we do want to talk about, you know, what's going on right now and whether shows still feel like something you want to watch. As the ref was saying, it is a heavy watch. However, it's so urgent that it kind of pulls you into its, into its world. And this is why if you aren't able to binge it, I didn't binge season three. It doesn't matter. Once you come back to watching it, the stakes are so high that you're right into it immediately. So that's the good thing about it. Um, Now in season three, Marty and Wendy, the married couple played by Jason Bateman and Laura Linney, they ain't agreeing. 
they're not agreeing about how to launder this money, how to get out of laundering money, because they work for the head of a drug cartel who makes a lot of appearances in this season because he is in a war with a rival drug cartel in Mexico. So how does that affect things? Now his uh, presence in the States, a lawyer uh, played by Janet McTeer, Helen. She's there in Missouri. She's been there since season two with them. And the question is, does she still trust the birds, Marty and Wendy? Now their kids, teenage kids know all about the family business, but Helen has a teenage daughter that she brings to Missouri for the summer. Is that a good idea? Now there's also who we talked about, Julia Garner's character, Ruth, who started out as an enemy of Marty's and is now his employee because they now have a, a riverboat casino. That's what they do. What happens when there's a rival riverboat casino? How they take care of it? Yeah. What in the world is Ruth's role? She's very smart and Marty knows it. He's grooming her for what purpose? Now, on this riverboat casino, because of what's happened from the previous two seasons, the FBI is still on the prowl of the birds, Marty in particular, because Marty is not a normal guy. He's brilliant at working money over, hiding it, keeping it from the feds. They bring in a new character because we still have some leftover stuff from the previous FBI agents who were doing something that may provide a conflict. Well, they bring in a new character, Maya Miller, played by Jessica Francis Dukes. She's pregnant and she's smart too. And she looks at Marty and goes, I can't really figure out what you're doing with this money, but I will with time. You're that good. Because this oh. is her job. She goes, look, I love math. It makes me feel comfortable. So oh. I know when something's up. Oh, yeah. But she wants Marty to do a particular thing for the FBI. Is that going to work out? And Marty wants her to do something in particular. If he, I'll put it this way. If he were doing legitimate business, they would be very good friends. Oh. They're like opposite sides of the same coin. Now, we do have another one of their partners, one of the locals who grows heroin. And sells okay. Them. She's nuts, completely. And <laughs> she has something that Wendy Bird wants back. She may not get it. And she also does some things that when you get to the end of the season, you're like, I can't even believe what I'm watching. I cannot believe this. Okay? Now, for Wendy... I mentioned she and Marty aren't seeing eye to eye. She wants to get deeper and deeper into the cartel, become someone that they need. That's their way out. Marty wants to go away and away and away from the cartel. Let's disappear. Let's slow down. Let's think. They are opposites. And the clarifying influence is another new character in this season who is introduced. We don't know why we're seeing this person, but it's introduced with a bang. And then we see how he relates to the birds. Oh my goodness. And it, it explains who Wendy really is. It gives us some of that. And then there are all other kinds of things. Of course, there's also Ruth's 
uh, cousins who she was taking care of. They're having some sort of conflict. But the thing is, is the problem in Missouri, in the Ozarks, the birds, did they bring it with them? Or is it just that where they are, there are issues, or is it both? And by the end of the season, the question is how many people are dead? It begins in a certain way with a kind of a bang. It certainly ends with one, I'm gonna tell you that. And by the end of season three, you'll be asking, who's safe? And you'll be thinking to yourself, it was already a mess. Now I can't even imagine a way out for the birds. So, I enjoyed this. Is it always perfect writing? No. But you know what? The writing's good enough for this cast. These people know how to act. Okay? Laura Linney and Jason Bateman, they do this stutter thing all the time. I love it. I love it. I just love listening to them think out loud because that's what's happening. You get all these other characters, even their kids, the way their kids have matured to understand the family business is interesting. Janet McTeer, you know not to mess with her. Somebody does. I'll put it that way. Or tries. <laughs> <laughs> and so on and so forth. So if you've seen the first two seasons, you've got to watch season three. I hope there's a season four. If you haven't started watching this and you want something that's dark, but not dark in the way we're used to. So it's dark, but the, the point is this, these people are smart, that's the thing. A lot of them are very smart, even people you don't expect. So you're always going, what are they thinking about? Where are they going? And how in the world can they disentangle this? So if you wanna be drawn in by this kind of story, crime with smarts, then this is the show for you, especially if you want to deal with people who are under pressure from so many different ways that they can't even figure out which way to turn. Interesting. Well, let's keep with Netflix sneak peek uh, peaks and go to something quite different. Unorthodox, which is coming out on the 26th, is a four-part German original limit, limited series. So you're going to get some, we, unorthodox, you can imagine, you're going to get some Yiddish and you're going to get some English. And Netflix has really been pushing this. I've seen this a lot of places. Um, I, you know, spending a lot of time in um, New York City, especially if you're around Brooklyn or places like that, um, you see people walking around and you think, Oh, this, you know, it, 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 people who are orthodox in their, in their faith and, but it's a mysterious world. And I hear that this is going to unveil some interesting things and perspectives, not necessarily about that world, maybe so, but, um, a story that we aren't normally used to seeing. Yes. Um, and there's four parts here. From the beginning, Ref, I was watching this and I couldn't look away because the main character, Esty, which is short for Esther, she's in this Hasidic Jewish community in Brooklyn. It's it's not like it's Brooklyn. I mean, you you would have to be told unless you see that what's going on outside, and it's not a period piece. Right. 
So it's like, what kind of world is this? If you don't know it, they do start to get into what it is. And it is based on uh, a true story, actually. Uh-huh. So Esty is trying to get out. Why? She's married. She's young. She's 18. But she's trying to get out. What's the problem? Like, what is going on? What's the issue? It is so urgent. And the thing is, she cannot let any of the people in the community know that she's leaving. No. Why not? What can they do to her? She's living in the United States of America. No one can stop you from leaving. Right? Can, can they? Mm-hmm. Now, who helps her get out and where does she go? Well, it is, like you said, a four-part German original limited series. So she goes to Germany. Why? Why Germany? Well, yes, I mean, Yiddish and German, they're close. But okay, like, why did she go there? I won't tell you. But I will tell you that she has an artist's spirit. And she meets some artists in Germany. And how does that go? What happens to that clash of cultures? Now, we also see how she grew up. She was raised by her grandmother, Bubba. And her aunt was there as well, her father's sister. But where is her mother? Huh. And where's her father? He's present physically, but maybe not mentally. So what's up with that? Her aunt says, you're an orphan. Okay. The husband, is he that bad? He seems like a decent guy in this community. They have their strict rules, very strict. I mean, if you don't know this community, you'll go, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? And the thing is, they get into not only Esty's perspective of really being a caged bird and wanting to break free, but also the other perspective of people who want to hold on to their culture. Why is it so important to have these rules? What does that come from? You can guess, but there is a part of this when they really nail it down. And you go, oh, does that mean you agree? I don't know. You have to watch it to find out. But I did enjoy how they didn't simply go against it. Yeah. Even though it's easy to do. Right. It's easy to do that. That's there. But they also give the explanation. And it's sorrowful. That's what it is. It's sad. This is just very, very sad. But it makes sense. So in the end, the question is, is Esty really free? Is that possible for her? And where does that freedom lie? And how does it look? That's the question. Now, four parts. By the way, I've mentioned this before on our podcasts. This was directed and brought to us by the same person who was involved in Deutschland 83, 86, and 89. So if you like the Deutschland series, I would say give this a chance. It's not the same, but it has the same kind of of, uh, thinking behind it, which is nice. The same kind of world building to it. Mm -hmm. And And while it's not a period piece, you get the feeling that you're somewhere else. You get the feeling that you're on the inside. The first episode to me was stellar. I was like, whoa, if all four parts parts are going to be like this, I may need uh, some attention. Somebody might need to help me. Because the, the, just the, the clear purpose of Esty getting out was gripping. 
then does do the rest of the parts have that kind of urgency no it does slow down a bit and it does give us again what i was talking about where they go more into the whys the whys of the culture the whys of sd all of that so i was fine with that i enjoyed watching it it didn't have the same kind of spark as the first episode, but it was definitely watchable. And I did want to see how this ended. Now, you will have to read subtitles at times. As the ref said, it is in Yiddish, a lot of it. There's a couple of things in German, but most of it is Yiddish or English. And I was fine doing that as well. So if you want to get a glimpse into a society that you probably don't know much about, I would say check it out. If you are Jewish and you know about this society, I would say check it out as well. I did, Ref, happen to read uh, someone who is Jewish, their take on it. And I think from that, that it would still work for people who are Jewish and it might be uncomfortable, but I think it's worth it. Well, let's stay in that vein because we have a movie sneak peek called Resistance. Now, this is going to be in select theaters and on demand and even on video on demand and cable on the 27th. And the reason why we're staying in that vein is because we are going to uh, dive into a period piece of more of the Jewish community um, as far as the story goes. Now, this is written and directed by Jonathan uh, Jacobowitz. <laughs> Jacob Jacobowitz. Mm -hmm. And um, Jesse Eisenberg, Ed Harris, Edgar Ramirez are frontlining this. Maybe. <laughs> You're going to talk a little bit more about that. But it has a very interesting... Um, premise probably something that we hadn't heard before um or this vein of story with these group of groups of people and you can let us know if this is something that we need to be uh, unfortunately i don't think that it will be released in theaters um during on the 27th just because our of our current global situation um but is this something you know while we're at home we can check out Mm -hmm. I'll we go should. right. Yeah, we should check out. Yeah, I'll start right there. Um, I would not go out to see this. Uh, the question is, should you watch it from home? Um, I would say that even if we weren't in the current climate. Um, so, what this is about? This is World War II. Yes. So we start with uh, a young girl and her two parents, and they're in Germany. Uh, they're in. I believe it's Nuremberg. And we see that they're a loving family and we know how it ends. Now, I won't give that away, but that's the opening scene. And I was like, whoa. The little girl, I'll put it this way, is no longer with her parents. Now, we then are encounter Jesse Eisenberg's character, whose name is Marcel. And we start by seeing him, he's performing on a stage in France. Okay. And he's miming. Now, he's kind of doing his Charlie Chaplin thing, I'll say. And that's what he likens himself to. His father is like, uh, excuse me, get your butt to the, uh, to the boucherie, okay, in, in French, to the butcher shop, because that's where we work. This family is a family of butchers. That's what you're going to do. Get real, okay? It's like 1938, dude. You're not gonna be some sort of actor or whatever you wanna call it. 
So how does Marcel respond to this? Now, what we find out is there is the French Jewish resistance and Marcel's brother is involved. So he gets pulled in. Does his brother think that he should be pulled in? But why would he be pulled in? Well, it's because they have rescued some German children, some Jewish, German Jewish children, I should yeah, say. Yeah. So Marcel, because of his skills, can help to keep their spirits high. So that's the thing that he does. And guess who's one of the children? You know who. So we start to see how eventually, because we know of the march of history, they're going to have to get out of France. Can they? In the end, can they make it from France into Switzerland? Now, they started in the north of France, and we know that the Nazis got there first. Then you could go to the south of France. They do that. So it's this whole thing about trying to get away from that danger. Now, there's also maybe a bit of love in the air because there's a fellow resistance member played by uh, Clemence Poissy who... Maybe she, her character is Emma. Maybe Emma and Marcel can have something. Who knows? They have an interesting little chemistry there. And the whole question is, of course, again, can they make it out? And who lasts, unfortunately? Now, the Marcel that we're talking about is actually Marcel Marceau. Oh, you didn't know that was coming or... I did. (laughs) (laughs) So it is telling how he became that because in the beginning, that's not his name. He is Marcel, but not Marcel. How does that happen? It's all because of, he has more skills than just being a mime and an actor. I'll put it that way, that he puts to use. He's an artist. Artiste. Yes. Where did he get that from though? His father's like, you should be a butcher, right? His brother is like uh, a soldier. You'll find all of this stuff out. But as a review, the problem with Resistance is it's not quite clear on what kind of movie it wants to be. Is it going to be the kind of rousing war movie where they rush away, what we've seen before? Is it going to be a little lighter, maybe like Life is Beautiful with this? Or is it going to be something else? Maybe a a Schindler's List. It's a mismatch of things you're not quite knowing where you are. There are moments when they start showing them um, the map of where they are, it's just kind of jarring. So I just, it just wasn't, it didn't have a clear thought that would have helped to uh, pierce through all of the movies we've seen that have been about this topic. Yeah. Um, I will say that what I wanted to learn more is who is Marcel? Who are these people he's with? Who is this little girl? They give you glimpses of it. And when they do, that's when this movie shines. That's when I was like, this is it. Really tell us that. I mean, they have, uh, Ed Harris plays General Patton. (laughs) And you're like, why is he here playing Patton in two scenes? Like, if you're going to have him do that, then have him do it. Not have him like just be kind of this introductory and closing force in the movie. It just was scattershot. Now, was it bad? No. It had its moments. I think that Jesse Eisenberg playing Marcel Marceau, the thing about Jesse Eisenberg and me, Ref, which I've realized, because I've been thinking about him every time I see his work, starting with the social network and moving forward. 
he is cerebral. He, it seems like he's planned everything. He knows what he wants to do. And that's the problem. I would like to not see the work from him. I would like him to let it go. So I was seeing him work here. And I will say that there were moments when they spend a lot of time on his performances and I didn't know why. It's not like you're watching a real mime. <laughs> so why do I have like this five minute sequence where he's entertaining the kids? It's like, okay, I got it like four <laughs> minutes ago by the end of this. So it's that kind of thing. So if you're interested in the story, if you go Marcel Marceau and World War II, I didn't know, is this real? It is. You can certainly check it out. Um, it won't be a waste of your time. However, this is the kind of movie where you might watch it in snippets, actually, if you can, uh, or even wait until later when you can do that, if you're interested. Because again, we just didn't have that cohesive thought. Well, there you have it. We gave, we've given you three sneak peeks and a ton of other television content that you can devour as we, as a world, try to figure out what our next steps are. It doesn't hurt to be, um, to go and be uh, deterred for a moment while we figure all of that stuff out. Hmm. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.